Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Vedette Redbird Report. I am Josh Tolentino, Vedette Sports Editor. Today I'm joined by Mike Mara, Vedette Senior Reporter. And we're going to talk some Redbird hoops. ISU season came to an end last night on Monday night as we record this on a Tuesday afternoon. The Redbirds fall to Central Florida 63-62 to in the second round of the NIT. A game where, man, they had an 18-point lead and kind of just lost. The wheels came off at the end, did not register a single field goal in the last five minutes against a very tough nation's best defense in Central Florida. Uh, Nick Banyard had a, came off, came back to Redbird Arena, rough start, uh, missed the rim on his first two shots, had a rough first half, but came back in the second half, had a huge block on Deontay Hawkins at the very end. Mike, just break it down for us. I mean, the tale of the game is seriously the second half. I mean, when you want to talk about, you always hear people talk about how games are a tale of two halves. That was a tale of two halves. In the first half, Illinois State took a 36-23 lead into halftime, and then UCF came out and just absolutely dominated the second half by actually winning the second half 40-26. to I mean, if you're scoring 40 points, that I mean, that's a high number to score in the second half. But if you're holding a team to 26 points in either half, I mean, you you got a good shot at winning a game. But, I mean, that's just credit to UCF coming out. Whatever whatever Johnny Dawkins said to his team at halftime must have clicked and worked because they came out and just dominated the second half. And I mean, that's just really just how the game went. Illinois State, it really wasn't a crumble necessarily because UCF just played that well. I mean, their guard play, B.J. Taylor had a game-high 22 points, 11 for 11 from the free throw line. Matt Williams... Had 15 points and those Boy, 15, he, was, he was stroking it. Those 15 points came from all came from beyond the arc, and I mean he was not taking any easy shots. I mean he was pulling it from the NIT logo. There were a couple inside the Redbird logo, and so I mean he was really just stroking it, like you said, Josh. And you know the the foul call at the end of the game from our vantage point, yep. I thought it was a foul, and I know I've heard multiple people tell me that they thought it was clean. I just didn't think McIntosh was under control. I thought that it was a foul. And the thing that I think is interesting is people that were sitting behind the basket and more off to the left side of the court, so right in front, right behind the UCF bench, they're the ones who thought that it was a clean play. I thought from where we were sitting on press row, I thought it looked like a foul, and that was the referee who called the foul. Was He's the one who blew the whistle, was going right behind the play, so maybe it was just the vantage point, and that's all it is. That's really all refereeing is, is kind of, you know, you're calling from what you see from your vantage point, and that's a 50-50 call, and unfortunately it went the other way for Illinois State last night. And the exact play Mike is referring to was the last possession of the game. Possession before that, um, ISU was down, um, I believe, one. Mikhail McIntosh was fouled. Goes to the line, hits the two most clutch free throws of his life um, to put ISU up 62-61 um, with about five seconds left. And then on that last play, Johnny Dawkins took a timeout. He said he ran a set they usually don't run too often. Beautiful set. Uh, B.J. Taylor came up to pick the ball up. And uh, I think Taco falls screen Parisley. So that freed um, Taylor to, to drive along the sideline. And it's something... I mean, ISU fans might not like the call, but it's something that we've seen throughout Mikhail's career, where he picks up the the he picks up the the player on offense, um, just coming across half court, right on the sideline, just kind of with his hands up and everything. He put the ref in a tough position, and unfortunately for the Redbirds, they made that call. Just breaking down that play, if Mikhail doesn't do that, Taylor, he's kind of running 
kind of running nowhere, just running along the sideline. He's going to have to heave a half, uh, not a half court shot, but a heave, heave a pretty tough shot or drive the lane where ISU had help. Mikhail had help. Paris had help. Deontay Hawkins was there. That's a better call that a ref might not make. But unfortunately for the Redbirds, the official did make that call, and it did not go ISU's way. And that's just the thing, though, is, is you mentioned that BJ was driving to nowhere. I mean, if he dry, if he keeps going up the sideline, he's going to run himself into the corner. Trap yourself in the corner. There's, well, I think the foul was called with like 1.3 seconds left, or whatever it might have been. Um, you know, what's he going to do with one second in the corner as he's getting himself trapped? And then if he goes towards the middle, if he goes into the middle of the lane, like you said, there's help there. So it was kind of just a... I don't want to say a broken play, but it just seemed like kind of a mental breakdown, mm-hmm. if you will. And, you know, it just didn't go Illinois State's way last night. And like you said, Nick Banyard making his return to Redbird Arena. I had the opportunity to talk with him after the game. He was happy about the win. Uh, he said he had talked to a couple of guys leading up to the game, specifically Keyshawn and Mikhail. Um, he said he followed the team all year long when he could because, obviously, they were still playing that college strenuous schedule. But he said that he was happy for the guys, he was happy for Coach Muller, and that he was just happy that he was a part of the win, the, the winning, the home winning streak last year that carried into this season. But he said he found a home in UCF. He said Johnny Dawkins and those players have really helped him emerge as a starter for the Knights. And that's another thing that he kind of talked about was Dawkins and the players in the locker room kind of told him, hey, relax, play your game in the second half. It's just another game. You may be at your old school and you're, you know, where he graduated from. He spent two years here, graduated from here, but he just said, he's like, play your game and, and, and relax and just do what you got to do. And he did. He, he had a nice second half. And, and I, as I think, I think he had to play of the game. Blocking Deontay, I mean, UCF just grabbed their first lead of the game, and I believe that was 62-61, or whatever it may have been. Whatever the score may have been, uh, UCF grabs their first lead, and then it looked like Deontay was going to go up and just slam it home, give Illinois State the lead back with about a minute left to go. And it's just kind of crazy because it's de- it was deja vu because DJ Clayton came, and he dunked one right over uh, right over uh, Banyard, and... That was in the second half, and so he came back. It was almost the same exact play, and what's just crazy about it is he didn't shy away from it, and he played it. And that's the one thing that Dawkins did say in the press game, in the post game press conference was that you know Nick's a winner. Nick plays to win, and that was a game winning play. So you know, happy for Nick, and you know we'll see what UCF can do as they take on Illinois or excuse me, Illinois, not Illinois State, Illinois on Wednesday night. Like what you said, uh, probably. There are tons of plays, but that was that was definitely a, a huge play. Um, but Hawkins, he did lead ISU with 15 points. Proved again, you know, he was he wasn't ready to go out just kind of walking out there. He he showed up big time. Um, the three he hit to open up the game, I think it made it 6-0. Man, I think that's the loudest I've heard Redbird Arena this year. There were only 8,000 fans. They're kind of surprised, but that was a damn near loud 8,000 fans. It, it felt like the place was full. Place was rocking last night, but what you said, Hawkins didn't convert on that dunk with about a minute left, and ISU did not score a single field goal in the last five minutes, and that's kind of all she wrote. ISU, they fell in love with it. I mean, they've this has been a known story. They love the three ball, and as the saying goes, you live you live by the three, you die by the three. Two of eleven from three, just again, again a tough defense. ISU didn't hit their open shots, and ISU fell 63-62 last night, and their season is, is done. Yeah, and you see, and against UC Irvine, they that second half they came out in the first half. 
fired the three ball away, good, good, good. And then they came out in the second half, and again, it looked like they didn't miss a beat. Halftime didn't affect them. For whatever reason, last night they came out in the first half. First half they were 8 for 14 for 57%, and then like you said, Josh, in the second half, 2 for 11 from 3. And that's just not getting it done. And that's the thing with with falling in love with the jump shot is when it's on, it's going to fall, and you're just going to hit it. It's going to seem like that rim is humongous. And at the end of the game, towards the second half, when they shot 18%, that's the thing is when you have such a high percentage, it could drop down low real, real fast. And unfortunately for the Redbirds, that's what happened last night. And as Dan Muller put it, no game comes down to one player, um, whatever it may be. And kind of just like with the season, ISU season is done, but it doesn't come down to one game. ISU fans, they have so much to look back on, and this this group specifically, Dan Muller's group, this 2016-2017 team, historic season, uh, twenty the most wins in program history, 17-1 in conference, first place, undefeated home record. And then with the postseason awards, them sweeping that with player of the year, coach of the year, there was it's just so much to look back on, and it might take a few weeks, maybe even a couple months, uh, for these guys to recover. But when they when they look back here in a couple of years, when they see, wow, we left the mark at ISU. Yeah, and that's just it is, and especially for a guy like Paris Lee, didn't have that great of a night last night. He was three for twelve, three for twelve from the field, and you know, for a guy who it was NBC Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. And somebody who's going to go down is one of the best to ever put on a Redbird jersey. That's not the way you want to go out. But, I mean, it is what it is. I know I was reading something that he said in the pantograph, and he had just said that, you know, there always, there always won't be happy endings. Sometimes great things have to come to an end, and happy endings aren't always the way that those things end. And unfortunately for Paris and these seniors, that's how they're going to go out. But like you said, this one's probably going to sting for a while because I know last night, you could just feel in the, in the arena that the the air just being let out, and you could just feel the the sadness and emotion that mm-hmm. that the arena had. And so you can only imagine what these players are going through. So, like you said, in a couple of weeks or a matter of days, whatever it may be, you know they'll have to look back and say, you know what, we're going to go down in program history as one of the best teams to probably come through here. And you know the one thing that's going to may that may I think may overlook some of the accomplishments this season is it. The, it, and I guess it depends on who you ask. But not making the NCAA tournament, how much of a factor is that when people talk about this 2016-2017 Redbird basketball season? I don't think it should dampen it, but you know, I'm, I don't speak for everybody. I think what, what transpired this season was really, ma- I mean, it was magical when you want to talk about it's a never happened season. before. Yeah, I mean, 15-0 at home during the regular season. You get that 16th victory against UC Irvine, unfortunately, you lose that last one last night to UC, UCF. But, I mean, 28 wins in program history, that's that's something to be proud of. And, and what they did this season as a whole is something to be proud of. And like what you said, I mean, Paris Lee didn't have the march to remember, obviously getting the, the NCAA snub and not really performing well um, in this last game, 3 for 12, like what you said. But when we look back in a couple of years, He's been he's been one of the best ISU point guards in program history, and I think he knows that. Um, he just posted the other day he was invited to the Ports, Portsmouth camp. Um, top 64, 68 players in the nation invited that, so a great honor for the, for him. He has a bright future ahead of him, whether it be with the NBA, NBA D-League. Um, a lot of people don't believe that 
he's the NBA caliber player, but he has a future in basketball, playing professionally, whether it be in Europe, Asia, wherever overseas. So Paris Lee take about a great career at Illinois State. As we shift gears here into the off season, um, we have a Dan Muller has a great class leaving Paris Lee, Deontay Hawkins, Tony Wills. But the biggest question mark heading into the summer is Mikhail McIntosh. Um, could be an MVC Player of the Year favorite entering next season. I think there wouldn't be. I mean, there might be Elise Johnson but from Missouri State, but there's really no one else that could match up really with Mikhail. Talk of the town right now, and I just spoke with Dan Muller. He said Mikhail will graduate this summer, and he has that option to have that grad transfer. Dan actually said he hasn't talked to him about it yet, but it's something that Mikhail has earned with his dedication here, and it's something that happens all throughout college basketball. Mike, what do you think he do? And what do you think Mikhail will do? I mean, I've heard, and obviously there's always those things you see in tweets, but I heard that Mich- or not Michigan, Minnesota from the Big Ten and and uh, Coach Patino over there, I guess they were recruiting him, and they really like what he's done. And you know what? I'd like to see him stay here. Because he is just such a huge asset to this team. And like you said, if he stays here, he, he he's going to be one of the top three candidates for MVC Player of the Year. Um, I mean, Landry Schrammett and Alizé Johnson. If Wichita's back. <laughs> yeah, and if Wichita's back, which is a whole nother can that we may not open. But, you know, he's got, if he stays here, he'll, he'll probably have another similar year where he's just, he's the guy. He'll be the guy next year. That's the big thing is he'll be the guy next year. Um, but... Part of me thinks that he may be going off to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. Not that Illinois State isn't a good or isn't a good or great thing because it is, and, and Dan has really changed his program around. And, and I think next year or last year or this past season that just ended last night is the start of something really, really good for this program. But I think you know going to one of those Power Five conferences. I think that he he might land himself a Big Ten school. Where he may not be a starter, or he might he may not be the guy, but he'll be a, he'll have a role, and that's just it. Is you know anybody who comes in and watches Kyle McIntosh play at Redbird Arena knows that he's just his body build and just his whole talent, his athleticism, everything. It it kind of feels like a Power Five conference kind of guy, and I could see him exercising that graduate transfer uh, and, and and leaving Illinois State for where I'm not sure. Um, if I had to guess, I think it would probably be a Big Ten school just because, I mean, it is so close. I mean, the, you know, the Midwest, the Big Ten is huge in the Midwest. And like I said, those there, there's rumors that Minnesota has reached out to him and recruited him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd go back, play with Reggie Lynch. But he, but think about it. If, if he goes to Minnesota, he may work himself into a role. That's a team that just recently got bounced to Middle Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. And, He'd have a good role there, and I think wherever he goes, whether he stays or he goes, he's going to be a huge part of whatever team he's a part of next year. Uh, and you can't assume too many things, but obviously this needs to be discussed um, with M- what Mikhail means to this team. Dan Muller knows with Mikhail back next year with the pieces they have, they have a pretty, and then if with, if Wichita does leave the Valley eventually, it's not easy because no game is easy, but that's a pretty easy path to the Valley Championship right there with the pieces they have um, with Mikhail coming back. But it isn't just Mikhail. ISU does have some nice pieces coming back. They have Keyshawn Evans at the point guard or, or whatever he may be playing. Um, David Njai took a took a huge step 
in regards to production this year from his freshman to sophomore year. And then you got to think Madison Williams. If he has a similar type of growth, uh, I just I just spoke with Coach. If he has a similar type of growth from freshman to sophomore year, it's the same as similar like David and Keyshawn. You know, he's going to step into a role too. And then you got to think of the pieces coming in. Um, you had Malik Yarbrough sitting all, out all year along with Christian Romine. That's, I mean, that's a solid team right there, along with Phil Fain, the gem Dan Muller found it. He's, he's great production. ISU has a ton of pieces coming back. And that's just it. Is in, in, in looking at what they have for sure next year, I think your two stars on that team are definitely going to be Malik Yarbrough. We have not seen him play, so we don't know. I've but, seen him play in practice. He's... He's definitely one of their top three players. And, and so, I mean, just based on – I have not seen him play, so based on what I've researched on him and looked him up, and, and, and so I think him and Phil Fain are going to be the two guys next year that are going to lead them to the Valley title if if Wichita – whether they whether Wichita stays or not, but they'll be the ones that really they rely on to win them the Valley title and, and maybe repeat as regular season champs. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, Elijah Clarence for sure coming here next year. I mean, he's got a chance to be a four-year starter here. Point guard out of Maryland area. And so, I mean, so a four-year starter. And, you know, he may be the favorite right now to be NBC Newcomer of the Year. I mean. Or Freshman of the Year. Or yeah. Freshman of the Year. So, I mean, he's got talent. I mean, he just recently tweeted out his huddle highlight tape. And, I mean, he's, he's getting up there and. In the lane on a defender or two, mm-hmm. he's just cocking back and dunking on them. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I actually definitely could have used that last night. <laughs> they just could not really find points in the painting. It's a tough UCF team, but Elijah, to to watch him back, I'll be back next year. Obviously, finally as a fan, um, the whole no cheering in the press box, but I'll be back as a fan finally, and I'll be cheering for Elijah and the rest of the Redbirds, but. You got to think, ISU does have one more scholarship to give away, and I just spoke with Dan Muller, like what I said, and he's been focusing right now, all positions, but he's trying to hone in on a guard, another guard. The Valley has been known to be a guard-strong, guard-oriented league. With that, we're just going to see where Dan Muller goes with that. Yeah, and and the thing is, is you never know what's going to happen, but the one thing that everyone's talking about, and I know, Josh, you just wrote about it, is the JUCO Player of the Year from California, Zach uh, Zach, Zach Copeland. Copeland. Yeah, and so, I mean, like we said, JUCO Player of the Year, and he hasn't officially done anything, but, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. 18.4 points a game, I mean, could you imagine if... If, if you add that to the mix of what mm-hmm. what they still have right now, I mean... And obviously you got to think about transitioning from JUCO to the D1 level, but I spoke with, like what you said, I spoke with him last week. He's taken his official visit in, I think, the first week of April. And from what I've heard from the coaching staff, um, just kind of mentioning his name around, they, they really, they're really high on this kid. So it'll be interesting to see where, where Dan goes with this last scholarship and what Mikhail does over the next month and a half. This roster will not look the same in a month and a half, and it really de- just depends on the moves that are made and the moves that are brought in. And the thing is, is you barring any crazy transfer, and I don't think any of these guys are that are going to be a part of the main core are going to leave. Even if you don't land Copeland, I mean, what you got is is still just going to be so good. I mean, 
all of these guys, I mean, yes, you lose guys like Paris, Deontay, and Tony, but with those guys leaving, you have these guys, these younger kids who have really stepped in, and the one person that I think is really going to stand out next year is going to be Keyshawn Evans, just because... You, three Sean Evans. Three Sean Evans. <laughs> I mean, you got to work under Paris Lee for two years. I mean, if there's anybody better to work under for two years, and who knows, we don't know if he's going to be the point guard next year, because Elijah Clarence, I mean, he's a he can hoop. That kid can hoop, and so... You don't know what what they're going to do or what lineup they're going to toss out there, but still, playing under Paris Lee for two years, Keyshawn Evans, mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to be one of the main guys outside of Phil Fane and Malik that are that are going to really make an impact on this team. Yep, kind of just passing the torch down. Paris, he had a he grew up behind a great leader in Deshaun Knight, and now Paris passes the reins to to Keyshawn and Madison. And I know he's always joking around; he calls Keyshawn his son and Madison his grandson. They're really it's it's their time to shine. I mean, like what we said, a lot depends on what Mikhail does and where that last scholarship goes and who comes back. So many factors, but with what they have in place, the future's looking bright for ISU. Yeah, and the other guy I just want to highlight is Madison Williams. You've seen spurts this season and unfortunately he did get hurt a couple times throughout the season. He had a concussion and then towards the later or the later half of the season had a quick three fouls yesterday in five minutes. Um, but again, he is a freshman. Yeah, and so that other that towards later half of the season, he had that knee injury that he missed some time with. But I mean, when you see him play, and he actually got himself into a groove, he could play. And, and defensively, I know we mentioned it down in St. Louis. He looked like a bulldog. That's that was what people were saying is is he was playing defense like a bulldog. And the thing is, is he's got a motor that does not stop. And the one the one play that ice that just when I think of Madison Williams, this is the play I think of, and it's it's the end of the end of the game at Bradley when they were up by about thirty or whatever it was. I, I don't remember the score off, off the top of my head, but I mean I, Illinois State was was up by a, a good margin, and Madison had that fast break, and he caught back, went up, and went to dunk it. And I mean, I think that's just the kind of competitor he is. Is he's Dan not, was upset at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and you understand why, but it shows that he's a competitor, and, and not only that, but. I mean, he's not the tallest dude, but he got up there, and I mean, the thing is, is I don't think he's afraid of anybody. And playing in the valley, especially if Wichita State plays, stays, you can't be afraid of anybody. And I think Madison Williams is going to be a good sophomore, but I mean, as he becomes an upperclassman, really look out for his growth as a player. We'll see how this ISU roster looks in about a month, month and a half. See who stays, see who comes in. It'll be very interesting, along with non-conference schedule. I know Dan. Just said he has two more games to fill. Kind of just heading into the offseason. There's so many question marks, but a lot of good pieces in place. Yeah, and the one thing is, is as we mentioned, that there's two games open on the schedule. I'm not sure how many games on the schedule Illinois has open, but on 670 to the score this morning, Brad Underwood told, I forgot, I think it's Mully and Hanley in the morning in there, and but don't quote me on that. But for whoever the host is, he was on their show, and I saw the tweet that somebody had asked him if there's a reason why Illinois State hasn't been on the schedule, and he said he's not sure why. He said they'll look into it, and you know they're not afraid of going anywhere or playing anybody. So we'll see. Maybe that's a thing because now all of a sudden with Illinois State's emergence this season of, of really just taking over the Valley and whatnot, you kind of see that. People are talking about why they aren't playing each other now more than ever, especially with Illinois kind of being down. Obviously, they advanced last night in the NIT. We didn't. But uh, when you look at it, it doesn't sound like 
he didn't rule out the possibility of Illinois State, Illinois, you know, renewing that rivalry. And uh, it's been 97 years, and that'll be, if, if Illinois doesn't get on the schedule, it'll be 98 years since they've come to normal. And so Brad Underwood did not say that that's not an option for next year. So, I, I mean, do they fill that with one of the two open spots, or do they just go with Ole Miss? And who else knows? But, I mean, it, it's just another intriguing thing because it was such a big thing after the Redbirds did not get into the NCAA tournament this year. Dan Muller has been quite an interesting coach to cover over the past three years. Um, appreciate all the work that we've done together, and I'm sure whatever is in his mind with in regards to players and the schedule, I, I'm, I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, Dan, you know, when he took over this program, I'm not sure if everybody saw this coming. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when, when Illinois State Athletics and, and Dan agreed to the contract and he agreed to come here, I'm sure, you know, they thought this and envisioned this. But, I mean, for the people of normal and the fans of normal, did they? And the thing is, 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 is Dan has really just come full circle with this team. You would have liked them to see the to see them win the Missouri Valley title this year and, and, and get that automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. And that, if you think about it, that's really the only thing that he has left to check off his list. I mean, coach of the year this year, most wins in program history, 15-0 at home. I think it's five records that they they topped this year in school history and so i mean dan has really just i mean when you want to talk about just regrouping a and, and rebuilding a, a a basketball program dan has done that and so it, it, the thing is is if he says he doesn't know what he's doing i don't know if i'll buy it because he's not a dumb guy and he, mm-hmm. he's a smart coach and so I, i'm sure he knows deep down what he's going to do and what his next move is because right now they're illinois state's at the top it's ever been and so he wants to stay there, and so I'm sure at least in the past couple of decades. <laughs> and so I'm sure he knows what's going to happen, and he knows what he would like to have play out in his head. Uh, like what you pointed out, it's been awesome to not just witness but cover and watch this whole Dan Muller's tenure come to fruition with this senior group. Unfortunately, it ended that for them tonight. I mean, not tonight, last night um, against Central Florida. Paris Lee, Tony Wills, Deontay Hawkins, their careers at Illinois State are done. Um, after ISU loses to Central Florida 63-62. to In the second round of the NIT, ISU finishes with 28 program best, program best wins. Kind of just one brief, quick wrap-up on the year. Yeah, all year. I mean, the thing is, is just looking at last night's game and seeing how they kind of finished the year after Mikhail went down and had surgery, they weren't able to deliver that knockout blow. There were a couple games there where they escaped with the win, but you didn't sit there and be like, you didn't sit there and you weren't comfortable. You weren't like... Yeah, outside of that Northern Iowa game yeah. where you thought Mikhail was going to head into St. Louis after that and really have that uptick in production, but outside of that game, there wasn't really much there at the end of the season. Right, and so they really didn't deliver that knockout blow, and it kind of hurt, hurt them last night, And but, you know... Looking at the season as a whole... Nothing to hang their heads on. No, not at all. I mean, this is going to be a season that people talk about here for years to come. And the thing is, is it was... What an honor it was to just cover this team, first of all. I mean, seriously, it was such a fun and and enticing season. And there was never a dull moment with this team. And that was the good thing. And when you look at the start, they started 7-4. and And then after December 31st, you know, the start of the new year, they came back and and they've only had four losses since December 31st. And, 
you know, that's something that that's incredible. And, you know, being being at Illinois State, you don't get those opportunities to play the big dogs. But whenever you only lose four games in the last three to four months of the season, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And so I think the name of this season is probably the turnaround that they had because when they went to Hawaii, they had a 7-4 record, and, and that's when they got David back and, you know, it was just a second half turnaround, and, and really the resurgence of this season came when they were seven and four, and they came back and you know really just got it done. And so I think that's what it is: is just how they regrouped after Christmas and came back and really found themselves. A season to remember, remember that's for sure. Again, ISU loses the Central Florida ending in season sixty-three to sixty-two. Um, kind of just that's all she wrote for the Redbirds, and moving into. The next month and a half, we'll have coverage for you from the Vedette, whatever Dan Muller decides to do with the schedule. And then in regards to roster retention, we will bring you full coverage of that. Thank you for reading. Thank you for following. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Mara Ilstu, uh, myself at JCT Sports, and of course the Vedette at the underscore Vedette. Be sure to pick up a Thursday issue of The Bird to kind of just look back at a historic season for the Redbirds. They end at 28 wins, program best, and it kind of just ended last night for ISU, 63-62 to to Central Florida in the NIT. For Mike Mara, I am Josh Tolentino, and this has been another edition of the Vedette Redbird Report.